Good morning. I'm uh, Matt. I'm the campus pastor here at SunWest, and uh, it's good. To, it's good to be back. I, it's been a while since I've spoken, and uh, it's been a nice uh, break uh, with the with the family, taking some time off, um, rejuvenating, uh, and it's uh, it's been a good few weeks. But it is good. It is good to be back. Um, I'm going to continue this morning's or the summer series, God on My iPod. And this is one of my favorite series that we get to do. We've done it a couple of consecutive summers here because uh, I love music. And I think that artists, uh, musicians often carry a prophetic voice uh, in our culture. Uh, and, uh, and the musicians and the artists we have, I think it's important to listen to, uh, to what they're saying. And so I get excited about us kind of pondering some, some of those thoughts this morning. But before we jump into the song, that I picked this morning. I just wanted to, to share a little bit uh, about my holiday. Uh, you might not care, so you could leave. Uh, but, uh, you know, I have the mic, and so I'm going to tell you about my holiday. And, uh, and so I, we just got a few pics of what, what we've been up to this summer. Uh, we started at the Folk Fest, and so uh, on your left there, you'll see a picture of uh, the boys and I with Foy Vance. I don't know, does anybody here listen to Foy Vance? All right, so Foy's one of my favorite musicians, and, uh, and so we, we saw him last summer, uh, and we got to see him again this summer at the Calgary Folk Fest, and uh, just a great guy, uh, and sorry, if you go back one, when there, you can see that size there in the bottom right, is four long days of music, and, uh, and he just fell asleep, like straight, you know, what they call in school, crisscross applesauce, you know, just sitting straight up. I uh, just fell asleep listening to the music, and, uh, and that was a good couple of days there. Uh, and I think we got another Folk Fest pick. That's yeah, us in the Folk Fest chairs. Uh, everybody at Folk Fest has those chairs. Whoever invented those chairs is making a killing on, uh, on music festivals, because you can only have chairs that are so high, right? So you gotta got to get the small ones. And uh, next, uh, we went to, you know, once a year we... In the summer, usually at the beginning of August, we go to Invermere, kind of Fairmont area, and uh, and this is us going out and getting ice cream, and we do that often, lots of ice cream. And next, uh, this is me and Joel. Joel, can you give a wave? This is Joel down here. Hey, that's my oldest son, Joel, and uh, and Joel's been. Uh, been wrecking some of the single track with me, and so this is out, uh, this, that's Toby Creek kind of behind us in the Hoodoos in the Invermere area, so we, we did this trail called Along the Johnson, which is one of my favorites, and that's Joel in the top right. You can see him riding along the ridge, and uh, makes your dad heart beat a little bit faster when you're watching your son riding his bike on the edge, but he didn't fall off the edge, and he's alive here this morning, so good job, Joel. And there's Sai, he just thought that was a nice, some nice flowers you want to take a picture by. I said, like, oh yeah, sure. Uh, so he goes, he goes to stand down, take a picture of me, I'm posing, okay. So there you go. Uh, next, uh, this is more shots of us, and in real, that's my middle son Luke, uh, found some chips called Luke's chips, so he dominated those for the week, they were his chips, nobody else could have any. And that's, that's Joel coaching me on my jump shot there on the bottom right. And what do we got Next. Uh, so this is last week we did, uh, we were camping in Fernie and we did some biking and uh, there was a good look out there at the top of one of the trails that we did. The, the boys, uh, 
they didn't quite appreciate the lookout because they didn't have to climb to get there. So we drove the van up to get them there. And then we all drove down and then dad climbed back up uh, to go get the van. So, so one of these days I'm going to make them climb up and they can uh, drive to get me. <laughs> Next. Uh, that's the same trail. It was a muddy day. You can see size back there. Um, his little BB-8 helmet that he just loves and won't give up. Um, and next, just sign the hammock, lots of mountain biking. And next, Bang. We play this card game called Bang. Anybody play Bang? Um, so we bought that this summer, and uh, we've probably played, I don't know, 30 games of that uh, already. So every night, kind of during summer, we've been playing that quite a bit by the campsite, uh, by the light, the lantern there. And then do I have one more? Uh, just a couple more. That was our campsite right on the Lake Kukanusa there, just south of Fernie, which was, which was awesome. And I think I might have one more. Nope, that's it. Thanks, Rob. So anyways, there's a, there's a little bit of my summer. Thanks for sitting through that. It was good to relive those moments with you. Um, so God, God on my iPad, Pod. And there, there is a reason I, I showed some of those, and I'll, I'll come back to that a little bit later. But um, I picked a song this morning uh, called Last Night of the World uh, by my favorite artist, uh, Bruce Coburn. Uh, do we got any Bruce Coburn fans here? Nope. <laughs> there's, not a whole, there's not enough Bruce Coburn fans out there. Um, and many of you know that I'm a Bruce Coburn fan. And somebody asked me why I didn't do a Bruce Coburn song last summer when we did this, and I, I said there's just too many to choose from. And so at some point, I'm actually going to do a Bruce Coburn se series. And I don't know if you know Steve Bell, who's a musician out of Winnipeg. He did a Bruce Coburn album called My Dinner with Bruce, all Bruce Coburn covers. And I thought, I'm going to do a Bruce Coburn series called My Dinner with Bruce, and we're just going to do Bruce Coburn songs. Uh, there'll be a few people here for that series. Um, <laughs> but maybe after this morning, it can change your mind. Every, uh, I, I was a youth pastor here for a long time and did the Youth Mexico trip. And uh, that, I started doing that just around 13 years ago. And every day of the Mexico trip when we did it, so that's, you know, 10 days long and over, you know, a dozen trips or however many it was that I went, uh, we listened to two songs at the beginning of every day in Alpha Van. We got any Alpha Van people here this morning? I, I know this tradition's continued. Yeah, you were an Alpha. You were an alpha. And, uh, and we listened to two Bruce Coburn songs that have been every day. Wow. When You Give It Away and Last Night of the World. In that order. When You Give It Away, Last Night of the World. And it started, uh, Trent Burstad and I, Trent brought, bought a, a CD. And so for those of you that don't know what a CD is, it's what you used to put into a device to listen to the music. It wasn't already in there. So uh, he, he brought like a mix CD with Bruce Coburn tunes. And we listened to those two songs at the beginning of every day. And we've been doing that for uh, every year since. And, uh, and so if you get to ever be an alpha van on the Mexico trip, you'll get to experience these two songs. Uh, Max, you were, do you know Last Night of the World? Yeah, I, I heard that you know how to sing it. Like, you know the lyrics of it. You don't, you don't know it? I, I heard that you, someone was telling me that you sang it like every day on the trip this year. Yeah, it was weird. I, I know how to play it on guitar. You're good? Okay. Maybe, maybe later, we're going to listen to it and I'm going to refresh your memory and then, uh, and then maybe later you can, you can sing it once you kind of re-get it in your head, okay? Would everybody like that? 
Here's song by Max. Anybody else in Alpha Band with Max? No one, no one dares put it, put it up with their hand. Um, okay, let's take a listen, and uh, I think the lyrics will be on the screen. You can follow along. Come on now, isn't that a good song? Did I make any Bruce Coburn fans yet? All right. Uh, one of my favorite songs by Bruce Coburn, one of my all-time favorite songs, period. Um, and... Uh, and so this isn't going to be a typical sermon. I'm just going to, the, the song, as you know, it, it, it's a little all over the place. It's, it's quite random, uh, but there's a reason why I like that. And, and, uh, and I just want to invite you into the song, into my, uh, into my thought space a little bit when I listen to the song. Uh, and it might feel a little bit random like that song, and, and that's, that's okay. Uh, I, I wanted to share the song because of the place that it has in my heart, so... Um, and so, yeah, we're going to go through, we're going to look at verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, and then uh, look at the chorus. Uh, verse 1, I'm sipping Florida Canyon lime juice, it's 3 a.m. Uh, so apparently Florida Canyon lime juice is like some of the world's finest rum. Uh, so there you go. 3 a.m., Bruce, why are you up at 3 a.m. drinking rum? That's, uh, you shouldn't do that. Uh, blow a fruit fly off the rim of my glass, the radio's playing Super Chunk and the friends of Dean Martinez. In an interview, someone said, you know, so why, you know, what are these lyrics about? And he, he said, that's just what I was doing. That's, there's, <laughs> there's no hidden meaning. Um, and, uh, and I think he said the phrase, I never make anything up. I'm just a reporter. And so that's kind of how he views his music. I just report kind of what I see, what, what's going on. Midnight, it was bike tires whacking the potholes. Milling humans, shivering energy glow. Fusing the space between them with bar throb bass and laughter. Don't you love that imagery in the lyrics? The, the space between people being filled with the throbbing bass and with the laughter. Um, I don't have any comments on verse 1. We're going to move right into verse 2 here. I learned as a child not to trust in my body. I've carried that burden through my life, but there's a day we all have to be pride loose. Verse 2, um, for me, just reminds me of the fragility and the temporariness of our lives. Uh, and, uh, and I think it's an uncomfortable thing that we don't like to think about. In, in our culture, we don't like to think about death. We, uh, uh, you know, even the way we, we treat people who are dying and uh, you know, we, and we put them in homes and we kind of live separate from them. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but we, we have this aversion uh, to death and most of us don't want to attend a funeral. And I think Calvin Block a few weeks back said, you know, it's really good, you should attend funerals. Um, and there's a certain perspective on life uh, that you get when you attend a funeral. Would you guys agree with that? Uh, that? That we get caught up in the busyness and the rat race of life and all of a sudden you step into a funeral and, and, and things that seem really important every day, all of a sudden don't seem that important at all. And things that you don't often think about, that you should think about, all of a sudden come to the forefront of your mind, and that's all you're thinking about. Um, the last funeral, uh, Brent Johansson, a friend of mine, his, his dad just passed away a couple of months ago. I had the privilege of going to his funeral. And, uh, you know, and when you hear a legacy that somebody leaves, right, and you're like, okay, I have a recalibration of what life is actually about. 
But most of us don't think there. We, we, we don't let our thoughts go there. Uh, that there is a day that we all have to be pride loose. I learned as a child not to trust in my body. I've carried that burden through my life. It, I don't know what happened, but it's almost like Bruce is saying that there was something that happened when he was a kid uh, that let him know that his, you know, his body broke down or maybe he had some kind of issues, um, but his body let him down. And he carried that burden through his life. But there's actually a point where we all have to recognize that our bodies let us down. That we're in these temporary frames for a season. And there's a day coming when we all have to be pride loose. And, and something I love, uh, it, it's interesting, if you listen to, uh, so my Bruce Coburn geek is going to come out a little bit here, but it, so th- this, this album came out in, um, in uh, sorry, 1999. Uh, he came out with a live album almost 30 years later. Um, a little less than 30 years. Uh, and, uh, and in the live album, he does a song with just his acoustic guitar. And it's fascinating. If you listen to the lyrics, all the lyrics are the exact same except on this one line. He says, there's the day when we all get to be pride loose. And I don't know if he did it intentionally, but it, but it, but it makes me wonder if there's, uh, you know, when we're younger, we kind of fight this idea of this life being temporary. We don't want to think about it. But as we get older... And that day seems to be drawing in on us. Uh, if we can actually learn to face it and think about it in a, in a healthy way, that it becomes something that we actually look forward to. Uh, I'm going I'm to come back to this, this idea in a little bit when we get back to the Course. Uh, but in Psalm 39, uh, four, verse 4 to 7, the psalmist says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered and how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. And sometimes in the, in the Psalms, you, you have these selahs or these interludes, which is like uh, when they were singing them or reading them, they would actually take a break and just reflect and soak on that. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. Just take a minute and think about that for a second. In the span of eternity, we are but a breath. Or as the writer of Ecclesiastes says, our life is like vapor. We are merely moving shadows and all our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth, not knowing who will spend it. And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. And to me, in a very similar vein, the psalmist is, is wrestling with the, this idea that we live this temporary life, and at some point, we're going to be pride loose. And I'm helpless against that. As much as we don't like to think about it, we're all helpless against that reality. And so, Lord, where do we put our hope? Our only hope is in you. I was, uh, this, this past week, we were, uh, we were playing uh, 500 in the pool. You guys know the name 500 or the game 500? No? Nobody knows that game? Okay, playing that game in the pool with the kids, and we had this ball, and, um, and uh, we were there with another family, and... Uh, and there's this one 
time that the ball got thrown and all, um, all like five or six of us had our hands on this little tiny ball and nobody was willing to let go. Uh, but luckily, I'm stronger than my 10-year-old son and my 9-year-old son and my 7-year-old son. And, I, and I, whipped them, I whipped them around the pool with everybody hanging on to this ball. And eventually, eventually, I could pry the, pry the ball loose. They were, they were helpless against the strength of Dad. Isn't that right, Joel? You had no hope. <laughs> you had no hope against me. And... And it's like this picture of, we live this life, particularly in the Western world, uh, where, we, where we don't think about death often, where, uh, where we value being young. And we make, there, there's, a entire, um, there's an entire industry built on us trying to be younger, perpetually trying to be younger, like we're afraid of getting old. Uh, and it's funny, it's like we're just, we're just hanging on to it, like, like no, I'm not going to let go. And eventually, we're all going to be pried loose. Eventually, it's going to happen. And so, when we come to that reality, we have these sobering moments that, hey, this is the reality that faces us. It actually gives a perspective to life that we as finite human beings need. And when we don't allow ourselves to go there, we actually rob ourselves of a great gift. You know, Isaiah 5 verse 8, it's just like a specific, uh, very specific verse, but I feel like it kind of fits here. It reads, Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field till no space is left and you live alone in the land. Uh, it's similar to C.S. Lewis' idea. When, when C.S. Lewis describes hell, he, he describes it as this place that people get whatever they want. And what they find is that they're living all by themselves and, they, and they, they can't get far enough away from anybody else. And that's what happens when, when we actually lose perspective on life, when we lose perspective that our life is but a breath, that we're actually helpless against this prying away of this temporary world, this temp- our temporary bodies. And we start to accumulate wealth. We start to chase these things uh, that we think in the day-to-day world really matter, but when we... When we have those sobering moments, we say, actually, what, what is this worth? In the grand scheme of things, what is it worth? As Jesus says, what, is, what good is it if you gain the whole world, yet you forfeit your very soul? What good is it? Verse 3. I've seen the flame of hope among the hopeless. And that was truly the biggest heartbreak of all. That was the straw that broke me open. One of my, this is my favorite verse in the song. And I've referenced this verse actually in a couple of sermons in the past. So it's probably not the first time some of you have heard it. And I think it's important to recognize some of the background, particularly behind this verse. Uh, In 1983, uh, Bruce uh, visited uh, Mexico and he was there kind of just checking out what was happening with the Guatemalan uh, refugees. Uh, And so there was a a civil war going on in Guatemala. There was uh, the native Mayan people that were getting pushed out of their land uh, by others. 
and their houses were being burned. And so they would go and they would hide in the fields and the, the fields got burned and then they would run into the mountains and hide in the mountains. And then they were chased down and uh, there was horrible atrocities that happened to them and, and many of them died um, and many of them uh, made their way to Mexico. Uh, but Mexico didn't want them either. And so there was, there was concentration camps set up uh, kind of you know, within 50 miles of the border of Mexico. Uh, and there's some invasions there, even from, from Guatemala and, and people being killed in those concentration camps. Uh, and uh, so Bruce went and he visited and he checked out what was happening there. And, and this is what he's referring to. I've seen the flame of hope among the hopeless. That was truly the biggest heartbreak of all. It was the straw that broke me open. I think he went there expecting to find hopelessness. But instead of being met by hopelessness, he found a flame of hope. And when he says that was truly the biggest heartbreak, you know, I've pondered this. I don't think he's heartbroken that they had hope. I think he's heartbroken maybe because he doesn't have hope. And as a affluent Canadian who struggles with hopefulness, to go to a place that has nothing and people that are suffering to such an extreme uh, measure, to find hope is actually heartbreaking. It's sobering. If you've been on one of our, our uh, SunWest mission trips, you, you've experienced this. You know, unfortunately, what, happened, what was happening in uh, Mexico and Guatemala uh, isn't unique to that time or those places. You know, there's similar things that are happening right now in Thailand and Burma. Uh, I think I saw, was Greg, I saw Greg over there. Um, so Greg Taves has been working in the Thailand-Burma area uh, for a long time. And uh, similar things happening there. And if you've been on that trip and you've looked at the, the faces of people that are suffering these atrocious things, and yet you see smiles and laughter and a flame of hope, and it does something to your heart. Or if you've been to El Salvador, you know, uh, Jake Fluker, one of our Sun Westers, leads trips to El Salvador often. You've been there and you meet these people. Oh, there's Jake right there. They're all here. Uh, and you meet these people that are in tremendous poverty, and yet they seem to carry more joy and hope and happiness than you. It's heartbreaking. You're not, you're not heartbroken for them. You're actually heartbroken for yourself. And you start thinking, it's like a mirror being held up to your heart. It's like, what is going on in my heart? You know, for those youth that have been to Mexico, you know, you see it over and over again when we build uh, houses for these families. You know, we, uh, we come with all of our gadgets and everything that the world could offer us. We have at our fingertips and we go and they have nothing, uh, yet they have more hope than us. They seem to have more joy than us. It's heartbreaking. And... Uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, there was a, a singer in a rock band uh, named Chester Bennington of the band uh, Lincoln Park who, uh, who committed suicide, who took his own life. And I remember this came up, and, and Joel and I were talking about it, and we were talking about why, why would something like this, how could something like this happen, you know, a rock star? And, uh, and I said something along the lines of, it's frightening, it's a frightening thing when you get everything you've ever wanted and instead of finding joy, you actually find despair. 
and, and I'm not making a comment. I don't actually know the specific situation there with, uh, with the lead singer of Linkin Park, and I'm, I'm not making a specific comment about that scenario. Uh, but just the reality that we have uh, many wealthy, famous athletes, uh, musicians, who have everything that they could ever want, and yet they find themselves where they thought they would have hope and joy and happiness, they actually find themselves with despair. How crazy is that? Pay attention to your own heart in those situations. I, um, and so when, when we go to Mexico and we, we listen to the song every day, right? I, I listen to this verse over and over again, and it's, it's like holding a mirror up to my heart. Bringing perspective. In our world, we want to avoid suffering and death and discomfort at all costs. But because we can't, we often develop a hardness of heart to deal with the fragility of life. We don't want to think about it, and so what we do is we, we develop this hardness. We don't, want to, we don't want to go there. We don't want to let our hearts and our minds go there. But the truth is, we're all going to be pried away at some point anyways. And so uh, I think when Jesus tells us to die, that's part of what he's saying is that Embrace that fragility today. And it's actually only when you die, only when you recognize your temporariness, only, recognize when, only when you recognize your mortality, your place in this world, then you can actually come to know me and come to appreciate life in a way that you couldn't otherwise. And this phrase broke me open. It, you know, it, that was the straw that broke me open. Bruce is obviously taking something from... Um, the straw that broke the camel's back, if you know that saying. It's like, you know, things just kind of pile up and eventually there's something that breaks your back. And it's kind of this negative phrase. That was the straw that broke my back. straw that broke the camel's back. And he's saying that there's these things that were building up in my life and this was the straw, not that broke my back, that broke my heart open. And fragility and pain actually has the potential to open your heart as much as it has the potential to harden your heart. And so for us, you know, I don't know your story, but when you think about the places of your fragility and where you've experienced pain, uh, where you've come face to face with those things, has it broken you open or has it, has it broken your back? Has it hardened your heart or has it softened your heart? There's one year I was in Mexico. Um, I had this, this uh, frame in my office, this frame of Jesus uh, hanging on the cross. And we were building a house for a family one year. And, and as we got to know their story, I, I learned that you know, they lived in southern Mexico for a long time. Uh, their house burnt down. Um, she lost family members in the fire. Uh, she didn't carry away from that house or that moment of her life anything other than this picture. Uh, and this is the picture they had up in their house where they would, they would do their, their morning prayer time and they would have their worship time. And the only thing that survived from that house was this picture. And so we come to Mexico. They, she kind of fled to Tijuana, started a new life. Um, and this was the only thing that she had from her former life. And she comes up to me. Uh, she doesn't know me other than the few days that we were down there. And she says, here, I want you to have this. 
She tells me her story. She said, I, I want to give this to you. I said, how can I take, how can I take this from you? And I, I refused it. I was like, I won't take it. And, and one of our translators there uh, basically said to me, if you don't take it, it's going to be a great insult to her. You need to take it. And it's those, it's those moments like that that break me open. It's like, how could she be so generous? I mean, we look at this. I mean, I've had people in my office say, what's that ugly thing? I don't, <laughs> you know, they think, it's, they think it looks awful. Um, but this was someone's entire world that they freely gave me. And here I am clinging to things in my life being totally selfish. And you have a moment like that where you encounter somebody like that with so much generosity, so much joy, and it's heartbreaking and it breaks you open. Um, I found this picture online, uh, I, and I just... This is a, it's a bit of what I'm talking about. Um, you know, obviously, a picture taken in the, the Middle East where there's been extreme devastation, and you see a father with his kids, and this joy and this happiness that is just, like, exuding out of them. And I look at that, and it breaks me open. And so we live in a world with these tragic painful realities. But how do we respond to them? we respond by not thinking about them and having a hard heart, or do we res- respond um, by opening our heart? And we come to the chorus. If this was the last night of the world, what would I do? What would I do that was different unless it was champagne with you? So when I listen to the song, like the f- honestly, the first couple years I just kept listening to the song, I'm like... I don't get, like, these verses have nothing to do with each other. The chorus has nothing to do with the verses. Um, But yet they all resonate and speak to me in some way. Uh, But as I listen to the song going to Mexico over and over again, um, verse 3 and the chorus really um, came together for me. Uh, So a bit of context about the chorus, and I'll come back to that. Uh, Obviously, this was written in uh, right before the millennium. You guys remember the millennium, Y2K, like the world's going to end. And they they came with all these songs about the end of the world and what was going to happen. And and someone said to Bruce Coburn, like, this is kind of like your millennium song, like the world's going to end. And he's like, I guess so. Uh, But he said the song actually started uh, years and years earlier. And he was walking with a singer-songwriter named Sam Phillips. Um, And he had this... Uh, Bruce had this backpack that he always carried around, and she asked him, what you got in there? And he said, you know, the essentials, you know, a notebook, toilet paper, rope, um, power bars, you know, everything you need for the apocalypse. Uh, And she stops, and she thinks for a second, and she says to him, what more do you need for the apocalypse other than a couple of glasses and a bottle of champagne? And he said to her, that's going to be a song someday. He said, I didn't know where it was going to find its way into a song, um, but years and years later, it found its way here into the chorus of this song. And the reason I love this chorus is because, to me, with the verses, it brings into this messy tension uh, that I feel all the time. This messy tension of we live in a broken world 
And there's work to do. As a follower of Jesus, there's work to do. Quick disclaimer, I do not believe uh, in the eventual destruction of the world. I believe in a God that is going to renew all things. Uh, And that he's invited us to partner with him in what he's doing in this world. And that we can look at brokenness with hope. Uh, Because even though these bodies might be mortal or finite, uh, we, we are in relationship with an eternal God. And we are eternal beings. And so I live, I live with a sense of hope. Uh, but I live with this awareness that we live in a very broken world. Uh, and as a pastor, one of the reasons I'm a pastor is because I believe that God has called me to help uh, partner with him and, and help other people co-partner with him in what it means to remake, renew uh, this world, to call people to himself. And so I live, I live in that world every day. You live in that world every day. Uh, And sometimes there's a tension when we live in a world like that that we develop a savior complex. And i got to be very careful how how I say this because um, I do carry with me hope. Um, And I do believe that God is inviting us to dream big. And we're going to go into a season as a church in this next few months where we're going to get to dream big together and I'm excited about that. But yet there's a sobering reality that we always need to remember that Jesus is the Savior of the world, not us. Jesus is the Savior of the world, not me. Jesus is the Savior of the world, not you. And when I listen to this chorus, there's like this, there's, there's like this surrender to our own helplessness. If this is the last night of the world... I can't do anything about it anyways. Who am I? I'm just a person. And the assumption is that I wouldn't do anything different, that I couldn't do anything different. Bruce said, with all the millennial doomsday speculations, it's important to remember that there's an end of the world for each one of us, whether we all do it at the same time or not, and that's the thing you need to prepare for. And I view it as a kind of graduation. To me, it's life, to me, life is kind of like school, and we're getting ready to graduate. And that's really what we should be focusing on. John Foreman, uh, lead singer of Switchfoot, has a song, and in the song he says, it'll be a day like this one when the world caves in. And so what are you going to be doing on the last night of the world, last day of your world? If there was such a thing as the end of the world, what would you be doing? And I would venture to guess it would be the same thing you're doing every single day. And I would ask you, are you okay with that? Are you okay with that? Because for the last night of the world, what would I do? What would I do that was different unless it was champagne with you? And so when I, uh, you know, spent those years going to Mexico with teams and we're doing good work, you know, uh, teenagers are coming to know Jesus. Teenagers are growing in the relationship with Jesus. We're building houses for people that desperately need it. And I feel alive and I'm like, this is what I was created to do. Yet I listened to the song... And I recognize, you know, what I'm doing 
is only just a little bit. If there's one Savior in the world and it's not me, that I'm one Jesus follower among millions and I need to play my part, that's true. And I give my life to playing that part. There's millions of Jesus followers, but my wife only has one husband and my kids only have one dad. And the reason I love the song is because it holds these things in tension for me that, you know what, I am called to something great, but at the end of the day, the greatest thing that I'm called to is what I would call my champagne people, my wife and my kids, and some close friends. And there's a freedom that comes with recognizing that you're not the savior of the world. There's a freedom that comes with having that sobering, um, perspective of our own temporariness, our own fragility. Yes, we work like crazy with Jesus to renew the world, but at the end of the day, the primary ministry that he's giving you are what I'm going to call this morning your champagne people. Who are your champagne people? There's lots of problems in the world. We know that. We join together to try and address them. But at the end of the day, it's those that are closest to you uh, that we need to be laying down our lives for. And when I'm talking about champagne people, I'm obviously not talking about drinking buddies. (laughs) And so we can't take ourselves too seriously when it comes to the things in our world even though they are serious. And I think Bruce in the song understands the importance of salvation and renewal that our world needs, but at the end of the day, if it was the last night of the world, it's those that are closest to you that are your greatest legacy. And as I was pondering the song this week, I I wondered, you know, the folks that we, if it was the last night of the world, that we we would have a drink of champagne with, um, for many of us, they're probably people that we haven't, had a, we haven't sat around the table, had a drink of champagne with in years. But you would say, you know, they're the most important people in my life. Or maybe they should be your champagne people, but your heart has grown hard towards them. And I know in my context, it's, you know, I have a wife and kids, and I recognize that that's not the context for everybody. And so I'm not, I'm not projecting that onto you, but I would just say, you know, who are those people in your life that are the most important? And are you spending, do you have the perspective that you need to actually spend the time and the energy you need to make them um, your champagne people, the most important people in your life? For me as a pastor, I want you to know a couple of things. Um, I believe we live in a broken, hopeless world and they, that needs the good news of Jesus And that's what I feel called to be about. Uh, But Jesus is the Savior of the world, not me, not you, as I said. I want you to know that for me, my priorities are um, to be a worshiper and follower of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to be a disciple of Jesus. That's my first priority. My second priority is my wife and my kids. And my third priority is my church and my ministry.
In Malachi 4, verse 6, as the Old Testament ends and, you know, there's this few hundred years of silence before Jesus comes, you know, Malachi kind of gives us prophetic uh, picture and he says that, uh, you know, when the kingdom comes, when the day of the Lord comes, God will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents. And so we can, we can be really concerned with the kingdom coming out there and actually lose sight of the importance of the kingdom coming right here. Are our heart, hearts open to the people closest to us? Are their hearts open to you? Because that needs to be a priority. And as I said, my priorities of my, you know, God, my family, and then my church, my ministry, I, I think that is the priority of every Christ follower. I would invite you to make those your, your priorities, that Jesus would be first in your life. That those people in your immediate circle of relationship would have, uh, you would put them in a priority above your vocation, your job, your ministry, and then what God is calling you to after that. So I'm going to invite the band up. As the band prepares to lead us, uh, I want to lead you with a couple of questions. Do you have a hope that is beyond this world? You know, I don't want to assume anything, and I would just, I would just let you know that you can. Uh, if you give up your life for the sake of Jesus, you'll save it. That there's a hope beyond the grave, and we know that from the death and resurrection of Jesus. And if you're someone that hasn't given your life to Jesus, I would invite you to do that this morning, that you would say, I realize my priorities are wrong, and Jesus, I want to give you my life. And that through his spirit, he would infuse you with a hope that is beyond the grave, that you don't have to actually ignore or be afraid of this moment of being pried loose, but it's something that you can say, instead of have to, I get to. So do you have a hope beyond this world? Second, if you're a follower of Jesus, how are your priorities? Have you neglected the most important relationships in your life? Would you actually be able to sit down and have champagne with your champagne people? And are you? If the world were to end today, would you feel good about how you've lived? Because it'll be a day like this one. Have you hardened your heart towards others? Is there an opportunity for letting that hurt instead of break you, break open your heart? And maybe you're afraid of being broken. And then I would ask why. Let me pray. And then Scott and the band will lead us. Father, we, we thank you that we have a hope beyond this world. We have a hope beyond what we see. Uh, Lord, that you call us to have a big picture vision of, of how you want to actually renew all things. People in our families, people in our workplaces, our communities, our city. And Lord, I pray that we would carry with us a sense of urgency and hope that, and a perspective that we get to partner with you in what you're doing. But Lord, I pray that you would save us from a savior complex that gets overwhelmed by the brokenness in the world, but instead, Lord, we would open our hearts to you. And Lord, that we would recognize the priorities that you've called us to. So, Lord, I pray for marriages where there is hardness of heart, where there's brokenness, Lord, that you would give us a sense of courage and urgency to open our hearts back up into those relationships. 
Lord, where there's a strange relationship between parents and kids, Lord, that you would open our hearts and give us the courage to walk into those relationships. Lord, where there's people in our immediate circle of relationships, Lord, where there's been um, hurt, Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to walk into those relationships. And Lord, that we would recognize that nothing in this world is guaranteed. Lord, that we would, like the psalmist, live with an awareness of how short and fleeting life is. And that wouldn't lead us to despair, Lord, but that would lead us to a proper, hopeful, sobering perspective. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I'm going to invite our prayer teams forward. Uh, there's prayer available here at the front at the end of service and also uh, in the back foyer. Uh, and as I was, we were worshiping and I was thinking about, you know, our champagne people. Uh, I recognize that it takes two in those relationships. Uh, and, uh, and maybe something that you would want to uh, invite prayer, somebody to pray into with you, is if there's a strange relationships that... Um, that you know that God's calling you to make right, but you know it takes two. Um, you can't change the other person's heart, but God can. Um, and I invite you to bring that person forward, uh, you know, in prayer. And to just pray into those relationships. Uh, because those relationships are the legacy that we leave. Um, and so is Jesus your first priority? And then do you recognize the relationships closest to you and and, and that you have a role in those relationships that nobody else in this world can have. And what does that mean? And then he's calling you to vocational ministry, wherever you might be. Uh, and we all get to partner with him in the world and what he's doing, and it's a great privilege. Uh, but it's important that that becomes, that that is in its proper order. And so let me just bless you and pray for you. Uh, yeah, Father, again, we thank you for hope. Uh, in some ways, God, this feels, this feels, uh, this feels heavy. Uh, but, Lord, I pr- it's, uh, it's perspective. And so, Lord, I pray for hope-filled perspective this morning. Uh, Lord, not, not a heaviness. And so I just pray against heaviness in the name of Jesus. And uh, if, if we're... Um, kind of like when we go to a funeral and there's a part of it that feels heavy uh, but when you go to a funeral where someone loves Jesus and they've left a legacy there's this uh, yeah there's this sobering reality but there's also this joy and this invitation to leave a better legacy and Lord I, I pray that we would walk away this morning with a desire to leave a legacy not for our own kingdom but for yours and we recognize God that there's certain relationships that we have Uh, that we only have. Uh, And you are calling us, Lord, to a greater intentionality in those relationships. So, Lord, I pray that we would be better friends, better brothers, better sisters, husbands, wives, fathers, mothers. And, Lord, we recognize that we live in a broken world and we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. We need you to come, uh, both in our lives, but also in the world around us, Lord, as we watch the news and we recognize, you know, this in many ways feels so helpless, and it's a great reminder for us, Lord, that you are Lord and we are not, and we get on our knees and we say, Jesus, come. This world needs you. 
pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for coming. Again, there's prayer at the front and at the back in the foyer. Uh, God bless you, and uh, we'll see you next week.